Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day and with the Bet365 Bet Builder you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. And welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This is the only place to be each and every week for all the very best blues, news, reviews, and previews from The Athletic's team of Chelsea experts. Coming up on today's show, we reflect on the Blues' come-from-behind winner Aston Villa as Frankie's fellas ensure Project Restart didn't stall first time. We'll also look ahead to Thursday's crunch clash with Manchester City at the bridge and the FA Cup quarter-final at Leicester this coming weekend. Plus, your questions answered? It's all to come on this episode of Straight Outta Cobham. Yes, hello listener. Good to have you with us. I'm Matt Davis-Adams basking in the warm glow of Premier League football. With me today, brackets virtually, close brackets, are the Athletics triad of Chelsea experts. First up, he's been reflecting on Frank Lampard's 100th game as manager in his latest piece for the Athletic. We're still some way short of his 100th pod appearance, but we'll be marking that in suitably grand style, be assured. It's Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. Now, last week, our next panellist teased us with the news he'd be writing about his all-time favourite player for the Athletic. I think we were all surprised when it turned out to be Kayla, the Crystal Palace Eagle, RIP. Hello, Dominic Fifield. Oh, that's devastating. Yes, Wilfred Zaha, not Kayla. Poor Kayla. I feel sorry for Kayla. For those who haven't yet read the piece, tell us about the time that, that Kayla did a, a better eagle slash man-to-man job on Eddie Hazard oh, than most but, Premier League defenders managed. Honestly, that is one of the highlights of, of going to Sellers Park over the years for me, that, that, Chelsea were playing there in 2014. Hazard was the last player out of the dressing room in the Chelsea ranks. As he's come out, he sort of glanced up and the eagle that, that, that Kayla, who used to fly from one end of the pitch to the other just prior to kickoff, is dive-bombing him. And I've never seen a player look so terrified on a football pitch in my life. Absolutely brilliant. I asked him about it about two years later in an interview and he, he just said... Look, it's not every day you walk onto a football pitch and look up and there's a blooming great eagle tearing down on you. So, yes, made an impression. That's exactly what... And Palace won that game as well. I think I'd be terrified if that happened to me too, so <laughs> fair enough, I did. Um, finally, also with us, the one and only Liam Toomey. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good. We're a football podcast again. It's great, yes, isn't it's it? it's nice, isn't it? And, and, and last week, eagle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Liam, last week you predicted we'd see the classic 18-19 Barkley for Kovacic substitution at Villa Park. So, so how did you feel when it came to pass? Was it nostalgic? Were you surrounded by a plume of imaginary cigarette smoke? Well, it certainly livened up the uh, Chelsea-related drinking game I was playing while watching the game, um, <laughs> given that I wasn't working on it. The, yeah, Barkley for Kovacic was finish your drink, I think. OK, so you got a sore head this morning. Um, if you want to keep across <laughs> all the best coverage from our three amigos, by the way, sign up today for a 40% discount to The Athletic simply by visiting theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod and enjoy the best football writing and ad-free podcast just as the Premier League returns. It's less than £3 a month and you can cancel at 
any time. Right, let's get to the action, specifically the action that took place at Villa Park on Sunday. So despite a scare, Chelsea made sure their first competitive game in 105 days ended in victory by overturning a half-time deficit to win 2-1 against Aston Villa. Courtney Halls had Villa ahead just before the break, much to the disappointment of John Terry, but Chelsea turned it round with two goals in as many minutes from Christian Pulisic and Olivier Giroud. And we'll get to the specifics of the game in a moment. Firstly, though, Simon, Chelsea's win, coupled with the fact that of the teams around them, only Wolves also picked up maximum points, means that it, it was a great weekend for the Blues, wasn't it? It really was. Well, it's been a great few days. Um, of course, Arsenal could have put... Chelsea under a bit of pressure early on, but they've lost both their games. Sheffield United have slipped up. Uh, Man United, of course, dropped points with Tottenham. I mean, it's it's been um, almost perfect, like you say. Wolves the only team to win, and, and I just think it was massive in terms of um, having that gap ahead of Man City because that's clearly going to be a tough game. Um, but also the psychological boost of of coming from behind. Um, something they haven't done very much this season. I think Arsenal is the only time they've done it after conceding the first goal. Um, uh, so I think that's a huge barrier they've crossed. Um, and and all in all, you know, as far as first performances go, given the length of time between um, the Everton game and the, the Villa game, there was a lot of uh, positive signs there. Liam, what were your thoughts when you saw the the starting lineup? Couple of couple of headlines, I guess. Christensen in at centre half, Kante and Loftus Cheek both started, and and Giroud getting the nod over Tammy Abraham again. Yeah, I think Loftus Cheek was the biggest surprise. We we knew that he'd convinced Lampard that he was physically ready to contribute from from kind of the moment the resumption happened, but we didn't realise that he would go quite as strong as to start him in the first game and. Um, Loftus Sheik starting on the left wing as well was a was a slightly surprising turn of events. Even though we know that he he played there for the first half of that friendly against QPR, um, but there were a couple of other things. You know, Kante actually playing in the holding role, the role that people who don't ever actually watch him think he always plays, uh, but he doesn't actually play very much at all. Um, and yeah, Christensen. I mean, the the centre backs were a little bit of a wash, weren't they? We weren't quite sure which ones. Lampard would go with um, but there were some interesting bits in that lineup and Giroud going for Abraham I think that was kind of borne out by the way the game played out because Lampard expected his striker to have to play a lot with his back to goal and of course that's what Giroud does better than just about anyone um, but it, it was also a lineup that that didn't fully work in the first half and we saw a lot of the, the same old Chelsea problems before of course, they, they got suckered in, in time-honoured fashion just before half-time. Dom, Liam mentions Kante and his role there. Mislav's been in touch regarding midfield. He wants to know, might we expect to see Kante stay in that central midfield position even with Jorginho's return? That, that's going to be an interesting one for, for City on Thursday, whether those two play together or or it's one or the other. Yeah, it is intriguing to see how that that will work. And I, I imagine that against the City team that they... They may want to, to to sort of to bring in Jorginho's experience again. That might be Lampard's instinct on that. Um, I, I thought Kante did well, but let, let's be honest, Villa weren't Villa weren't great. Um, Chelsea monopolised the ball completely. So, so Kante probably wasn't a, you know he wasn't he wasn't being tested defensively particularly in that in the in the deeper lying role the the old fashioned Kante role. Um, 
and I, I suspect that against the City he will be shifted back towards the sort of right hand side of that three and, and will be asked to be busy um, all over the pitch again uh, against a, a team that's going to, you know, that will hog the ball far better than, than Villa did. And it was a bit of a mismatch. And in some ways, uh, the fact that Chelsea had to come from behind is, is slightly alarming. And as, as Simon mentioned, it's just, it, there were so many elements of that performance that were familiar from earlier in the season you know we shouldn't be surprised they're not <laughs> they haven't suddenly uncovered a load of new players other than having Loftus cheek back so maybe some of the old problems were always going to infect them for the the rest of this campaign but um yeah at least at least they recovered and they were far better than Aston Villa in the end yeah and on, on those old problems question here that came in via Twitter from Ram I'll put it to you Simon uh, he says Chelsea's set piece nightmare what's going wrong why has it not improved the whole season do we need a set piece coach like Liverpool have for throw-ins? I guess it wasn't just the set pieces; it was it was the defending, which was a concern at times, particularly in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I answered this question um, during the sort of Q and A that that we hosted um, during the game. Um, I, I don't think a set piece coach is the answer. Um, basically, you can't improve what you don't have, and this is actually the base of a piece that I'm going to be writing. Um, or have written for this week, which is about the need to go out and buy a centre-half. Because I think we've been writing about this for much of the season, that all four of the centre-halves Chelsea have, have their strengths and their weaknesses. But as a partnership, you, you can't say that there's one outstanding partnership. Lampard's tried a number of partnerships. None have really worked. Um, and basically Chelsea are lacking that sort of domineering centre-half. I think they would all benefit from having that that one player to sort of play next to that that Virgil Van Dyke character, which is going to obviously be easier said than done to find someone like him. But I, I just don't think a coach is 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 really going to make much of a difference with the personnel Lampard has to work with. Well, Chelsea did manage to get themselves back level, and it was a substitute who did it in in Christian Pulisic taking all of five minutes to to make his mark on his first appearance since New Year's Day. Big goal for him, Liam, but but also a sign that Frank Lampard really got his substitutions right in this match. And we've spoken in recent weeks about how important they're going to be for the rest of the season going forward. Yeah, I th- I was a bit surprised to be honest that Lampard didn't make those changes at half time. Maybe he didn't want to. Um... You know, give Loftus Cheek the appearance of being hooked on his first first you know comeback after thirteen months out, but it was clear at half time that 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 eleven wasn't quite working, and the way the game was set up, they were they were a little bit too slow in moving the ball and a little bit too predictable. And I felt um, Barkley was quite bright when he came on in terms of drifting into dangerous spots, but it was really Pulisic who made the difference. It, the game was kind of set up for him, and and. That's not necessarily something you would think of because you associate Pulisic with, you know, searing pace to run in behind. But what he's also really good at is moving intelligently between defensive lines and being able to carry the ball with his feet, but also move really intelligently off the ball. And that's what happens for the goal. You know, as Pulaqueta swings in a really good cross from the right, one of the few really good crosses that Chelsea put in and Pulisic really intelligently attacks the space at the back post, which is something that Lampard has been encouraging Wings to do all season. And um, and Pulisic was becoming particularly good at making that type of run before he got injured against Brighton in the year's day. So I, I think Chelsea have really missed that from him. Um, they've missed that in their team. And, and I think 
Pulisic did enough even in that brief cameo to suggest that he will be very, very important over the next few weeks and trying to make sure Chelsea hold on to fourth. Speaking of subs, interesting question um, from Michael here who asks, if Pedro is leaving the club and is rumoured to not want to play, where was the value in having him on the bench ahead of Brozier or Angerin? Now, Simon, you've been reporting on this. Any idea what the thinking was from, from Frank Lampard there and in including Pedro? Well, I think, look, Frank said in his pre-match press conference that ideally um, he wants to end the season with the squad he started with and, and that's why we saw William starting and you know, for his experience and, and Pedro, of course, with his experience too. Um, look, Pedro's in this awkward position and, and and what I wrote got slightly spun by other people uh, into saying he's definitely not going to play for Chelsea again, etc, etc. What I actually wrote was he's unwilling, he's kind of reluctant because he's agreed a deal with Roma and he's very, very nervous um, about picking up an injury, which is understandable because he's about to turn 33 and this is one last payday at a very respectable club. He's still playing at a very high level. So naturally, he he is concerned. Um, now, Frank Lampard uh, gave no assurances um, ahead of the Villa game that a deal would be agreed with Pedro or William. Of course, William's in the same boat, but we're still working on it. That They're still trying to reassure them, uh, change their minds, um, because these two guys... Um, I'd say William more than Pedro are going to be important for the running, but the squad is important for the running. That's why you want someone like Pedro around um, because he has weighed in with a number of key goals during his time at the club. But it's just a very, very awkward situation and it's very understandable. It's not just at Chelsea that are dealing with this problem. There are other players elsewhere who are also sort of like Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth who are very reluctant to put their next move at risk Um to help out their club in the short term. I personally don't think Pedro should be judged badly for this if it ends up him not playing for Chelsea again. I think you have to sort of understand he's a family man. He's got his uh, near future to think about and and it's not like he would want to leave Chelsea in this fashion. It's just a, a very unusual time which has brought around this very unusual situation. And by the time this podcast goes out uh, will be on deadline day in this on this issue I mean it's the 23rd of, of June was the, the deadline set by by FIFA and agreed by the Premier League and and indeed the Football League as well for signing these short-term contract extensions and and as Simon says it's it's not just Chelsea that is suffering in in this regard I mean to think that, that Bournemouth would lose Ryan Fraser such a key player for a relegation run in is fairly staggering but you can you can you can take it as far as I mean look look at look at Burnley for example Jeff Hendrick a player that has been key for them throughout this season is interesting Milan so does he does he see out a the season at a mid-table Premier League club in Burnley who are not going to go down and, and they're probably not going to qualify for Europe either and risk jeopardizing a dream move to San Siro um or does he does he just say, look, actually, lads, I'll I'll fulfil my commitments until June the thirtieth, but after that, I'm afraid I'm gone. I mean, it is a real dilemma that that a lot of players are having to confront now. Um, and you know, I'm intrigued to see what happens at Chelsea in the next twenty four thirty six hours because 
you'd imagine that, that Lampard would be desperate for William in particular to stick about because uh, he is a, an older head, a lot of experience, and he's still doing a good job for him out on the pitch. Yeah, and, and on that then, Dom, it makes it even more valuable that Olivier Giroud signed his contract extension for a year. He, he got the winner here. You've been a big uh, believer in him over the course of the season. Were you surprised to see him get the nod ahead of Abraham here? Look, I was. I see the logic in what Liam was saying about back to goal, etc. And, and yeah, it, it was proved right ultimately. Um, I, I just wondered whether Tammy Abraham, um, given his past association with Aston Villa, uh, he he might have been given the nod for for almost for sentimental reasons in some ways, or maybe he would have been fired up against former teammates. He's also got to to a certain extent. Lampard has to bear in mind that Timo Werner's coming in, and he, he wants to keep the future of Chelsea in Tammy Abraham if he's going to have a significant role to play he's got to keep him sweet to a certain extent so but you know look it it, it all proved it proved completely the right decision it was a a, a great move a sharp turn and a, and a good finish to to seal the victory um and he has got this phenomenal record against Aston Villa I think is it seven games in a row he scored against them now it's 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 daft his his statistics against albeit a a pretty poor team um so look it makes perfect sense there's going to have to be a lot of uh squad rotation in these next six weeks it's predicting frank lampard's lineup was never easy it's going to be even harder now um just because players aren't as we have as we've discussed before players aren't ready yet they're then they're, they're going to need to be taken out the firing line for for an hour um in in fixtures and then brought on enough the bench and you know it wouldn't be a surprise if if for example Abraham started against City for, he'll want to, to to keep things fresh as as fresh as he possibly can uh, with the resources at his disposal I fully expect Abraham to start against City because from the comments we saw from Lampard afterwards he was talking about we're going to need to press a lot more um, it wasn't something that you know Chelsea were really doing against a very deep lying Villa defence but of course against City you need to try to get the ball off them and and that Abraham is the guy to do that so I would fully expect him to be leading in the line in that game yeah and I asked sort of Frank um after the Villa game um whether anything he'd seen um from the performance had changed his mind whether he had a sit a, a team against City in mind already and he did talk about how he'd already been working on a on a different team uh, ahead of the Villa game for the Man City game so I got I got the impression from that, that that he is going to make changes anyway. As far as the Villa game uh, selection is concerned, uh, that front six uh, in terms of Kante, Kovacic, Mount, William Giroud, Loftus-Cheek was the same six that started against QPR. Um, and from what I'm told, um, they were brilliant. Basically, everyone was sort of saying how well they were combining, etc., etc., so I think that was what won the day in terms of uh, the selection for Villa. But I think Man City is a totally different animal. Um, they looked very, very good against Arsenal. And you could tell from Lampard's reaction when I asked the question that he's um, he's pretty sure that uh, he's going to have to change a few things to, make, um, to get a very similar result. But I, at the same time, you get the impression that he's not going to be too cautious. He, he's, he's not going to sort of put everyone behind the ball and try and play for a point. He he wants to go for the win and 
And I think he's got Leicester in his sights. You know, they're only three points behind Leicester. He's not so much looking behind him as uh, looking perhaps at trying to nick third place, not just secure four. Yeah, Premier League games like London buses at the moment. You wait ages for one and then you have to wear a face mask and sit two metres away from the nearest person to you. Um, Also, they come along quite quickly. I'm trying to say, let's look ahead to Manchester City. Harry's sponsors straight out of Cobham. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash Cobham right now. That's harrys.com slash Cobham. I've been using my Harry's razor during lockdown and I can assure you that it is the smoothest, most comfortable shave that you can find harrys.com forward slash Cobham okay so Thursday night sees the Blues return to Stamford Bridge to take on Manchester City we've already spoken a little bit about potential changes to the lineup up front and in midfield um Simon do you think there'd be any temptation by Frank Lampard to, to change things around at the back. Obviously, Cesar Azpilicueta got the assists for both goals, but but Rhys James came on later on and, and Zuma for Christensen, another potential change he could make? Yeah, I think I think the centre-back issue really its ugly head again, uh, as, as we sort of said earlier. So you'd imagine that that will definitely be an area that he'll consider with Tamori being out with a a muscular injury, then Zuma is the only other person he can bring in. Um, so it's definitely a possible. Um, I thought Marcus Alonso did okay. Uh, Rhys James, um, we were aware that he'd sort of picked up a, a knock during the uh, sort of return to training. And it really showed in that little five-minute cameo he came on. He, he, it was it was as bad a performance I've seen Rhys James give, actually. He, he I think he lost the ball every time he had it. And, uh, but for Kante doing some tactical fouling, Chelsea could have been in trouble. So I wouldn't expect any change at right back. And as Equator, of course, came up with uh, two assists um, and got strong as the game went on. So, yeah, I think Zuma for Christensen quite possibly. Um, but apart from that, the only other question mark is whether he changes the three at the back um, and puts all three in there and plays with wingbacks. That, that's always a possibility. Liam, do you think there'll be lessons learned from the reverse fixture at the Etihad where, where Chelsea actually played really well but were profligate and, and City were clinical? It was um, it felt like a lesson at the time for, for Frank Lampard and his young team in, in the ruthlessness required to, to beat big teams in the Premier League. Yeah, they were pretty much perfect at the Etihad for about half an hour. Um, but even when they were, it felt like they were walking a little bit of a tightrope um, you know, Kovacic and Jorginho generally relish the challenge of trying to play out of tight spaces, but it always felt like City were a little bit of a coiled spring. And as it turned out, they Chelsea gave the ball away twice in bad areas and City were completely ruthless in terms of the way they took those chances. It'll be interesting actually to see if City set up that way again, because that was quite an un-Guardiola way to play. They were very counter-attacking um, at home. And if you look at the way they played against Arsenal, it was obviously totally different. They they were very much on the front foot. And the, the frightening thing from Chelsea's perspective is how Kevin De Bruyne looked. I mean, he, he didn't look like he'd had a break at all. He was completely in rhythm and uh, and just carving up Arsenal's defence. And he, he, of course, always feels like he's got a point to prove against Chelsea. But I think maybe the only lessons to learn really are just 
don't give the ball away <laughs> in bad areas because City are, are better at making you pay than just about any team in the world in those situations. But they're just going to have to be more or less perfect for 90 minutes to win that game. And we, we haven't seen that kind of level from, from Chelsea too often this season. Yeah, I should point out we're recording the show before City host Burnley on Monday night, so we don't know how that's going to go. We do know that Chelsea haven't got a great record against City of late. Only one win in the last seven meetings and have failed to score in five of those games. Dom, how far away from Manchester City as a team do you think Chelsea are? Obviously, these these two stellar signings might help close the gap a little bit next season, but but at the moment, is the, is the margin between them in terms of quality still quite wide? Instinctively, I say yes, because of Chelsea's deficiencies at the back and the uncertainty that surrounds up centre halves, left back, and uh, and goalkeeper to a, to a large extent. Uh, those are areas that Lampard needs to improve if they if they're going to eat into that gap. And City are going to have to to strengthen as well. Don't get me wrong. City have got their that City are looking up. They're, they'll be dismayed at the, the fact they've fallen so far behind Liverpool this season. Um, and you know the loss of Vincent Company and and then Laporte to injury just seems to have really really hampered them and and that isn't good enough for a, for a club of City's ambitions. But so I, th- I suspect that they will enter the market themselves aggressively this summer, and then we'll have to to, to assess. But Chelsea are making inroads in in that sort of pursuit of the top two. That 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 is that is clear. And their front line next season potentially could be, you know, close to being as mouth-watering as as, as those at Liverpool and City potentially, and uh, that that is massive progress. But but there's still work to be done at the back, and and Lampard and Marina Granitskaya will will be well aware of that. Well, this City game, just one big match awaiting the Blues this week. On Sunday, Chelsea make the trip to the East Midlands to take on Leicester City in the FA Cup quarter final. We'll preview that match next. So just before everything stopped, Chelsea produced one of their best performances of the season to see off Liverpool at the bridge in round five of the FA Cup. A mere three and a half months later, we're ready for the quarterfinals. And not much between Chelsea and Leicester in the league standings, nor in the league meetings this season, both of which finished all square. Uh, Liam, how do we see this one going and, and who is it a bigger priority for? I think it's it's probably equally as important to both clubs, isn't it, at this stage? Yeah, it, that that's an interesting kind of da- dynamic, but I think both of them will will really see this as a as an opportunity. Um, Lampard, I think, knows the value that cup competitions can bring for for establishing that kind of winning mentality, and especially in a young, growing team like this one. Um, and this is an opportunity to to set that tone early in terms of winning silverware um, for Leicester. I think Chelsea might have even caught them at a better time if this game had been played originally because Jamie Vardy was struggling with injury and he's had time to get fit again. Uh, so this could be could be quite a tricky one. I remember when Chelsea went to the King Power earlier this season. That was that was actually quite an entertaining game. Lots of lots of chances for both sides, uh, and it could could well end up end up being that way again. But it's hard to see who has it as the the bigger priority. But I think whoever gets through will be pretty confident that they have a, a very good shot at winning the whole thing. going to be interesting, Simon, to see how Ben Chilwell performs. We saw him score that terrific goal at Watford at the weekend. Um, no more news on his proposed transfer, I'm assuming, at this stage, but but it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how he reacts to potentially playing against people who are going to be his teammates next season. 
yeah, there'll be a lot of scrutiny on him if he if he is in the lineup. Um, every and to be honest, every movie makes is already sort of being analysed a lot closer. His performance against Watford um, was um, heavily reported upon, uh, not only for the goal but defensively. The way he played against Saar was was very much looked upon negatively. So you can imagine if he, he him against Chelsea, he's going to have the same sort of questions to answer. But it'll be also interesting to see who plays left-back for Chelsea that day, um, whether it be Alonso or Emerson, because I'm sure they'll want to prove a point against... OK, that whilst they're not on the same side, I'm sure they'll want to prove a point against Chilwell to show that perhaps they should be the man still um, to wear the Chelsea blue next season. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Dom, how, how significant would winning the FA Cup be in, in Frank Lampard's season? And, and does it depend on getting top four in conjunction with that? Winning the FA Cup on its own wouldn't probably be enough to, to view it as a successful season without Champions League football, is that fair to say? I think that makes it very confusing if, if, if he does that. <laughs> um, because psychologically, and for him to pick up that first silverware as a manager will be massive. And... and 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 yeah, I mean that, and reaffirming that you know the the faith that the the board had in him that this is a man that can that can maintain sort of Chelsea's recent glittering history in terms of trophies. I think it would be huge for Frank Lambert to do that, and and it would be a, a a great achievement. Perhaps, I mean, weirdly, probably more so than for previous Chelsea managers for him to do it. His first, the first, the first trophy in of what he hopes will be many. Um, but there is always this: you have to qualify for the Champions League um, at, at Chelsea. You know that that won't go away, and the, the fact that they've invested so heavily already in the transfer market, that they will be budgeting to a certain extent to, to to be there next season. I know they've got the money in the bank. I know they've sold Hazard, and they're going to get money for Morata as well. And actually, they've they've been really canny. The fact the fact they ha- they haven't spent at all in these last two windows for different reasons. Uh, they're they're sort of playing catch up in that respect financially, and 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 that's why we're seeing them demonstrate so much clout at the moment. But but qualification for the Champions League means a lot to Chelsea in terms of prestige as much as anything else. To be honest, that I fully expect them to do it as well, particularly given the uncertainty around whether Manchester City will be able to compete in that competition next season. Um, and you can, it's conceivable, therefore, that Lampard could, could end this season, his first at Chelsea as manager, with a trophy and Champions League qualification, which actually makes it a fantastic campaign. So Champions League qualification, top of the list of priorities. But but in terms of the FA Cup, Liam, we've got Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal and Manchester United all still in the competition. It, it is often maligned, but but the big boys usually go the distance in it. Have you got a theory as to, to why that is? Well, I think part of it is that 
their squads are so deep that they can probably get themselves through to about the quarterfinals without playing their strongest teams, as long as the draw is kind. And then at that point, the big clubs really do start taking it seriously because those games usually come at the point in the season where they've got clarity about where they are in other competitions. And we've seen this with Chelsea in the past where the FA Cup has has often been the saving grace for a season that's been drifting or in danger of being you know, beyond redemption. They're usually the, the manager that takes over from, from the sacked guy <laughs> between December and, and February comes in and assesses things and goes, right, well, I've got no chance of winning the league. I'm going to try for the Cups. And so I think that, that that's played a big part in Chelsea's proud record in the in the FA Cup in the Abramovich era. Um, but from, from Lampard's perspective, you know, as we've reported extensively, he, he, he firmly hope well at least hopes he he'll be at Chelsea for the long term and is building um a kind of long term project here. So he wants to set that tone for winning and, and to start building that man that mentality and that culture for this new team early. And this is a perfect opportunity to do it. And Chelsea will take the next step towards achieving that at the King Power on Sunday afternoon. Four o'clock UK time is the kickoff for that. We will, of course, react to it on next week's show. And that's just about all we've got time for today, though. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on and what's to come on The Athletic this week. Liam, what's on your agenda? So we're we're working on getting some clarity with, with Willian and Pedro's contract situations, but we're also working on a, a bigger piece, um, to do with Pedro kind of looking back at his time at Chelsea as well, which should be should be up later this week. Uh, Simon, I enjoyed over my cornflakes this morning your piece on how Frank Lampard deals with the pressure of being a manager. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting take um, on Frank, really, because cause everyone knows how he handled it as a player, um, always seemed to rise to the occasion. But we only have one season to go off as a coach, um, and that was his time at Derby. So I spoke to a few people in around Derby of, of how Lampard sort of coped with the running there. Of course, he was under pressure, not quite as much pressure naturally as he's under at Chelsea, but to get them promoted via the playoffs, and, and he almost succeeded. So that's why I sort of based uh, my, my Villa piece. Of course, the team that he suffered his two lows with, biggest lows with at Derby, not only the playoff final, but he suffered a 4 0 loss um, in March as Derby coach. Um, so that's why I wrote that as a theme. And, and as I touched on earlier, I've written a piece about the centre back situation and who perhaps Chelsea should look at to to improve what is a what is a clear weakness in their squad. Excellent. How about you, Don? More ornithological obituaries? Are you going to be tracing the history of the very first Sheffield Wednesday Al? Um, <laughs> I'm writing about Kevin De Bruyne uh, and the the divorce from from Chelsea um, all those years ago. Um, I know it's a, a subject that Liam Liam mentioned earlier. Actually, it's still a sore point, obviously, at Stamford Bridge to a certain extent. Um, but we're going to have a look back at his one of his final games for Chelsea um, and the sort of the straw that that broke the camel's back in terms of his future at the club. Sounds good. Looking forward to reading that. Remember to sign up today for a 40% discount to The Athletic. Simply visit theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and enjoy the best football writing and ad-free podcasts just as the Premier League returns. It's less than £3 a month and you can cancel at any time. 
My thanks as ever to Dom, to Simon and to Liam and of course to you, listener. Shall we meet again same time, same place next week? Sounds good. For now though, from all of us, it's goodbye.